Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there. Welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers podcast with your host, Dili Hussain. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners that you can find this show on all three seasons on all the major audio platforms. And if you're watching via YouTube, don't be cheeky. Remember to click subscribe. I'm in Belfast shooting my second podcast today uh, upon invitation from a very special guest. Um, he is a documentary filmmaker and a veteran activist hailing from Belfast, and that's none other than Sean Murray. Sean. Thank you, Donnie. Thank you for having me here. Do I say brother or comrade? Which one suits you? Whatever suits, brother. Do you, do you see the Palestinians as brethren? Of course they are, yeah. When I came here into your home, it slipped out of my mind, out of my mouth, Northern Ireland, and your face kind of changed a little bit. Tell me why. Well, Northern Ireland, for me, is a colonial construct, you know, so we don't say where we are now, we don't say Northern Ireland now. That's not to say that I don't respect anyone else who wants to call it Northern Ireland, but it's just funny when I hear it, someone say Northern Ireland, it's just not. How many Catholics you know, hold down that terminology, though? Well, there's, there's a kind of a middle ground of Catholics and Protestants would use, and, and you know, probably all Protestants would use that, that, that terminology, you know, but it's a... It's 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 a term that in these areas, these working class areas in West Belfast, you, you you won't hear too often, you know. We're eleven weeks into the war on Gaza, and this is my second visit to Belfast. But it's the first time I actually managed to see the different neighbourhoods, uh, due to the previous guest who showed me around a bit, and he showed me all the different areas, and I've seen so many Palestine flags. Um, is that always been the case? Yes, we we always uh, seen our Palestinian brothers. Uh, we we always had a solidarity with them. Of course, we we were always friends of any revolutionary movements, particularly anti-imperialist movements. But particularly Palestine, we seen it in in an anti-colonial context. You know, if you look at what Israel done in Palestine, the parallels are very very similar to what the British done in Ireland. So there's there, there's there's that closeness just through that alone. You know. So you know the also um, unionists. Are predominantly, if not entirely, Presbyterian Protestants, right? Of that uh, meaning? Well, I'm not, well, not. I, I don't think Presbyterian would be in the majority, but you've, I mean, you've got Methodists, you've got Church of Ireland, and stuff like that. Yeah, but you know, Protestant. And and do were they once seen, and were they still seen? I know it's really wrong to do sweeping generalizations; it's not fair. But is there still a conception that these are the descendants of colonialists? Well, of course. I mean, that's that, that's exactly what had happened uh, over eight hundred years ago. Here, we had the uh, the colonial project where Britain came in and they did, the indigenous people were, were were killed here. But I mean, it worked both ways after that. But I mean, we're not gonna heck up. Uh, we're not gonna bring a lot of stuff that happened over eight hundred years. But I mean, we have to face the reality that we still have to live with those with that that decision that happened then, and we still have this polarization and this divide because of it. You know, but the the greatest fallacy is that the conflict here that raised on for over 30 years was about religion. It wasn't about religion. It was a class war. Like most wars are fought, uh, it was a class war. Why? Religion was used as an excuse. Why? Well, it's easy to, I mean, it's, we've seen it in Iraq with uh, the Shia and the Sunni in Iraq. Uh, it's easy to find the the denominator. Uh, religion's a great, a, a great polarizer. I mean, if you have two religions, and they're working class people. It's easy to tell one of those groups that the other working class person is trying to steal something off you, you know. And it's the people at the top, the establishment people, the people with the money, that are very they find it very easy to manipulate that uh, those workings, you know. 
Tell me a bit about your background, your upbringing. Well, I was born in this area. I've always, <clears throat> I've always lived here. My business is here. Uh, we're 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 in the Clannard area in uh, in West Belfast, which straddles the the Protestant Shankill area. Both both areas have have, have seen uh, a lot of violence during the conflict uh, from violence from both sides. So we're in. Uh, I mean, I, I've 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 always been proud to be living in Clannard. Uh, it's a very Republican area, an Irish Republican area. Most male members of my family were in jail uh, at, a, at a, a cousin of my father's, my uncle Don, who was killed in the 88. And that, that was a big milestone in my own life because when he died, I was personally affected because he was kind of a father figure. My father was a political prisoner all during my childhood. And Don was like a father figure uh, for me growing up. So when he died, it, it affected me personally. It affected a lot of the family personally. But there was a documentary they observed uh, that Margaret Thatcher tried to stop, which was called Death on the Rock, actually. One of the books, yeah. Was that book, Death on the Rock, by Roger Bolton, which was... Uh, Why, you made this into a documentary? No, 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 sorry. So so these were a, a team of uh, English investigators, documentary makers. And when the three IRA members were killed in Gibraltar, they flew away right away. And what they were able to do was get the details of eyewitnesses and completely debunked the official narrative from the British government and the dis disinformation that was being fed through Rupert Murdoch's The Times and The Sun. Uh, and funny enough, I'm writing a book at the minute, and the prologue, it starts around this period here. And some of the, the research that I'm still gathering around Gibraltar and the media response to Gibraltar all these years later, I mean, 35 years later, that I'm still finding out, it's just, it would, it would blow your mind. And one example is um, there was a journalist who died last year, a Scottish journalist, a renowned journalist called Ian Jack and in a piece that he wrote uh, just after Gibraltar he had said that he had travelled over and he remembers staying in the Holiday Inn and hearing this song from the streets he, he thought he was dreaming and it, the song was called Up to Our Necks in Fiend and Blood and it's sang here by the most extreme elements and it's about the slaughter of Catholics and he's, he's thinking he's dreaming because he says you only hear this song at maybe at uh, Loyalist Bond marches or a Glasgow Rangers football club, and he looks out the window and he sees these drunken uh, news, newspaper, uh, the, these journalists from the sun, drunkenly shouting and singing, walking up the street, and I'm going, like, it's, it's astounding. And this is the independent press that was reporting uh, the, the killings at the time, you know. So all that affected me. And I think it was the vilification and the marginalisation of my own community around that time. You know, the funerals were attacked after that. You had two British corporals that were killed in the same week. And the response to the British corporals where they called this community here a terrorist community for, for the killing of those corporals. But they were quite mute when there were three people killed at the funerals, you know. So it was a, the difference, the, 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 the dynamic between the reporting on, on my own community to, to that of, of British soldiers or policemen when they were killed, you know. How complicit do you think the British establishment and the relevant forces at play here were in bed or colluded with the also uh, unionist elements. Oh, they were, they were they were very complicit. I mean, they funded them, they armed them. I mean, collusion is no illusion, is the slogan. But I mean, we're 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 well past the stage where we're we're arguing the point. I mean, it's based on on evidence. It's based on the British government's own documents. Uh, it's based on great research for by human rights groups, the likes of the Padfanukin Centre, Relatives for Justice. We're well past that stage. We know that collusion was a a a massive element. Uh, and the, the, the war against my own community here.
some have said, and some are talking from the kind of uh, Austria Unionist side, they, they said, look, um, it's not entirely untrue, but the Catholics overplay that that hand, meaning the collusion, the collaboration between uh, the Unionists and the British forces, it's overplayed, they were exaggerated to justify their terrorism. Yeah, of course, of course they would say that, but I mean, the, the, I would never argue about collusion unless it was based on empirical evidence. So, I mean, I made a film called Unquiet Graves, where it details the killing of over 120 civilians by just one group, and they comprised loyalist paramilitaries. They were loyalist paramilitaries by night, British Army and policemen by day. Now, that's only one group. Uh, and the evidence that we have for so many more all over the six counties, and of course, and attacks in the South also, like the, the Dublin Malahan bombings, etc., where MI5 uh, were complicit in the killing of uh, residents in, in, in the South also. So, I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not a small minority, but the evidence alone uh, would debunk that, that theory that it's just a small minority of killings that happened through collusion. When the English arrived in Ireland, um, and started doing what they do. Can you really say that there wasn't a religious element to that? Well, I think then, I think then there was, but I'm, I'm talking about the contemporary troubles. I'm talking about the outbreak of the conflict in 1869. Of course, we can go back even further to partition, yeah. 1920, 1921, and we wouldn't do that. But religion was used as, as, as an element. Even more. then? Yeah, even then. Yeah, the, the partition, yeah, yeah, there, 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 there's no doubt about it. Yeah, of course. I mean, these, these, the streets and... These streets, if you look in the 1920s and the 1960s, where poverty was just, you know, off the scale. But it was the same on the Shankill Road for the Unionist community. But what, what, what they were very, very clever at was telling those people on the Shankill Road, you haven't got a pot to piss in. You don't have anything. See, those people that don't have a pot to piss in, they're going to steal your pot. They're going to steal whatever pot you, 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 you want yourself, you know. So that's that's how they, they, they were able to do it. And, and I'm afraid... You know, the old saying is they, 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 the unionists always got the vote within the Protestant areas because the old, the old saying was, you know, you could put a union jack on a donkey and they vote for a donkey, you know. It's about flags, it's about emblems, you know, where, 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 where Republicans was about progressive politics. It was about civil rights. You know, when you when you drive through some of the areas in Belfast, um, it still seems very segregated. Yeah. 30 years on, 25 years on from the Good Friday Agreement and stuff, how come things, are things changing? Yeah, no, listen, it would be, you know, I don't, I don't want to downplay things. Of course, I would like things that have happened faster than they are, but there's been a lot of positive movements since the, the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, there are a lot of naysayers who would say very differently. Of course, we still have the wall here. A lot of 100 yards from where we're sitting now, the, 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 the peace wall, as it's called, or the peace divide. But, I mean, the relationships between people in the Shagal and people in the Falls Road here have grew. I see, you know, I have friends in the Shagal, you know, I see people from the Shagal coming over and, and associating with the people here. And, and, and likewise, it's the same. So it's, it's nowhere, I mean, 25 years ago, you just could, you would never have seen it. You would never have seen it. And back in those days, how do you identify a Catholic and a Protestant? Ackler's old stereotypes, you know what I mean? I'm not going to play on the old stereotypes because they're funny and a lot of them are just untrue. Well, but, go and tell them. I mean, you know, but you hear those things from Protestants who would say, you know, I get to smell a Fenian and stuff like this here. You can smell a Fenian as soon as a Fenian walked in the room. Yeah. And it's just like her colours and stuff like that. But names were the main thing. I was the only... Oh, because the names, It's yeah. just names, you know, right away. Nothing to do with hairstyles or like... No, yes, her stage was one of them, yes. Yes, there was. There were slightly small nuances in, in, in style and her stage and stuff like that there. But I don't like to play on stereotypes. Some of them were just funny, you know. 
Are you still hopeful for United Ireland? Oh, very hopeful. Yeah, very hopeful. Do you think it's a case of when and not if? Yeah, of course I. Like that, like the demographics have changed forever. We are not going back to the having the boot on our neck anymore. It's just not going to happen. So how do you now foresee this happening uh, in 2023 moving forward? Because things have changed since 1998. Things have changed in terms of progressive politics, uh, even the politics of Sinn Féin. Um, how dedicated do you think they are for United Ireland? Who who are, sorry? Sinn Féin. Oh, shit, Sinn Féin are very dedicated. I mean, it's their raison d'etre. But how, how how do they foresee that happening? Well, how, well, to keep doing what they're doing, you know what I mean? The, 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 the thing with Sinn Féin is that they're embedded within the working class communities, you know? And if they keep that level of commitment up and that level of work up within their own communities, uh, the, 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 we're, we're, there's no problem. They, 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 they'll keep doing what they're doing. Do you think Brexit helped the cause? Or? One million percent Brexit helped the cause, yeah. And are you hopeful for uh, independent Scotland as well? I am, but very, very... I was demoralising to see that that didn't happen the last time, you know. Came pretty close. What's it? They came pretty close. Yeah. You know, what were they saying? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Scott Palestine. Um, everyone knows, anyone with a cursory understanding of history uh, know that the Republican movement and the Palestinian resistance were very close uh, for decades. Uh, 60s, 70s, 80s. That was a peak time, the Cold War period. Um, there were ideological um, similarities. There was a comradeship between uh, the Palestinians fighting colonial settler Zionism and, of course, the British imperialism here in the north of Ireland. What does that relationship mean to you? I mean, I'm, I've walked into your lovely warm home and I'm seeing pictures of Che Guerrero, Fidel Castro, and these guys were very close with uh, Yasser Arafat and many of the uh, Palestinian Liberation Organization figures. Um, do you think that comradeship is still there? Of course, sir. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. There's still a strong relationship with Palestine. Does, yeah. it, ma does it matter much that the Palestinian resistance of today isn't, much, isn't really left-leaning? It's more so Islamic. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't matter at all. It's about what the Palestinians want, not how we view their politics. You know, so uh, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter in that sense. Let me see what one of the arguments uh, that Zionists and Unionists have posited. They said, "Look, to me and to Muslims on Twitter online, hey guys, we know you're all chummy chummy with the IRA and and they're your brethren and comradeship because of the kind of left leaning politics. But guess what?" If you look at the root cause of their Marxist politics, they actually stand against the Islamic element of your resistance. What do you think of that? Well, the Zionists will tell you anything because they're the biggest liars in the world, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Does it matter to you much about the ideological leaning of the Palestinian resistance? Well, listen, if we were to worry about the ideological leanings of people that we had solidarity with around the world, then we'd be fighting a very lonely battle ourselves. You know, we, the, the other elements around the world have been have helped Ireland throughout the years and have helped the Irish cause. So it matters little because you're not, you don't see their struggle as that you want to interfere in their struggle. You want self, you want to see self determination for themselves, and how that matters is for themselves, not for us. So if so, if the Palestinians decided their political destiny is one towards one which reflects their faith as opposed to, let's say, uh, Marxism or left-leaning ideology or anything like that, but it's more of an Islamic-leaning 
would that affect how the Irish would support them? Absolutely not. The, the religious beliefs have, have, have nothing to do with it. This is about this is about a downtrodden people. This is about a people who have been displaced, who have had the genocide visited upon them. It matters little about their religion or how they want to identify themselves, self-identify, or how they see their future. Have you been to Palestine? I haven't. I've been to Lebanon, not Palestine. Do you plan on going any time? I do, yes. I, I would love to go. When, you know? did, when did you go to Lebanon? I was in Lebanon just at the end of the 2006 war. Did you go for work? Yeah, no, it was over yeah, for work, yeah, for documentary. Yeah. And how long were you out there for? It was out there a couple of weeks just, yeah. How did you find Lebanon? Absolutely beautiful. The people were just amazing, yeah. In terms of Israel, or the Zionist entity of Israel, um, it finds itself in a position where it appears geographically alone on the map. I mean, if you look at it, it's just a tiny piece of occupied land that they, that's a colonial outpost for the West. Um, yet, it implements the most genocidal policies that we have seen in modern history, right? Yet, it has the protection. Yet, it has the mainstream media, the mainstream establishments of Western governments, who, quite frankly, in many cases, in the case of America, and one could even argue Britain to a lesser extent, are actually complicit in these war crimes, right? That we're seeing, as of now, 22,000 deaths, 9,000 of them children, 50,000 injured, 1 million displaced. And that's unfolding before our eyes. Weapons being provided by the Biden administration, um, other material support that's been provided by Britain. Uh, what kind of correlation can you draw from that reality to the reality of the North of Ireland? Well, it's a, it's a very different reality because i tell you why. We have the unusual uh, difference of having the US as allies because of Irish America. That's the only difference. Now, we would never uh, go so far as saying that the, the, the terror that was visited upon our own community by Britain was the same as what Israel is on the Palestinians, because it's, it's, it's on a greater scale. Of course. Right, on a far greater scale. But I always say, if we hadn't got the support and the eye of Irish America on here, I think Britain would have done the same as Israel. And you know when you refer to Irish America, you're talking about Catholics. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so, the, the Boston Catholics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the, the Irish America would be you know, the Hibernians and the Irish who, who, you know, who had left Ireland many, many years ago. How do they? How, how do they? How do? How does America reconcile that with the fact that they have more WASP type affinity with the Unionists? Well, this is the thing. A lot of the Irish, uh, Irish American diaspora are now kind of right wing. Really? Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah. So you're saying the Irish Catholics of America, many yeah, of them a, lot of, a lot of them would be right wing. Yeah. Yeah. But so that mean they're going to be pro-Israel. Uh, well, listen. The pro-Israel get get the nod from a lot of lot of that that movement also, and and even more so, they're very very silent on Palestine, All, almost mute. So we have this this balance within Irish republicanism, and we won't ever allow that to be to, in fact, to use the word in fact, to the fact our politics here, because we will always be in solidarity with Palestine. But there's a kind of house house. We say nothing. You say nothing. We say nothing. Has it ever been attempted to be leveraged by the Americans? I've listened probably at a political level, but I'm only speaking as an observer. Oh, sure, only and, and as a, a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. You know, that's... that's but for your that, observations, do you yeah. think... Well, I, I'm, I'm sure there has been uncomfortable conversations between the two, but you have to understand, the Republicans' main goal is to seek the reunification of this country. 
and we do need the support of Irish America, but we will not be silent on what is happening in Palestine at any cost. Have you had any experience or exposure to Zionists yourself in terms of the work that you do, the activism that you've been involved with? Have you ever had any encounters in terms of censorship, lobbying, pressure that you've had from the Zionists? Have you ever had that displeasure? You see, so, I mean, it's happened. They're, they're pumping a lot of money on the Ireland at the minute and, and in the red, you can see it, you know. Uh, but not explicitly, just online by a few different people. But I mean, if you're talking, if the unionists that attack me online and read these articles, they're, they're Zionists by nature anyhow. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, yes. Of course. Yes, of okay. course. You know, if, if I'm dealing with unionists, I'm dealing with Zionists, you know. But Israeli Zionists, American Zionists, no, not, not really, no. What's your thoughts on an emerging fracture that's appearing amongst, however you want to coin them, white nationalists, I wouldn't call them unions, but white nationalists, the WASP type, uh, far-right groups, where there seems to be a difference of opinion emerging with regards to their approach to Israel. Now, you'll find a camp, and that's the majority, that's still firmly pro-Israel, firmly Zionist, um, unapologetically. But this time around, you're starting to hear more voices from those who you would have assumed are traditionally pro-Israel. Um, one could argue that it's just a case of Jew hatred as opposed to anti-Zionism. Um, others are saying that, no, this is a genuine concern of the nefarious influences and agenda of the Zionist lobby in our politics. Have you observed any of this? Have you seen any of this? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think it would be through the the uh, concern for Palestinians, for a start. Okay. But I, I definitely, they would see it as a concern for the Zionists interfering in, in, in their own politics. Mm -hmm. But there is a bit of Jew hatred there also, I would say. You know, these were people who historically have hated Jews, mm -hmm. you know. And, I mean, if you look how, how Jeremy Corbyn was treated, well, the most anti-racist person I've, I've ever seen, you know, uh, and for him to be labelled an anti-Semite, it's very, very easy that they concentrated on the left and left these people alone, you know. You don't hear too much of them, the Zionist movement attacking the red, you know. So uh, I definitely think it's a bit of Jew hatred from those in the red. When you look at the situation in Gaza today, and you look at all the previous wars that's been waged on them by the Zionist entity, there nearly always seems to be a disproportionate bias from the mainstream media, um, in this case, cross-party support. Uh, many Labour uh, members refuse to vote for a ceasefire. Um, why is Palestine-Israel a red line for the establishment, for the British establishment? It seems to be something which, whenever it kicks off, there's nearly like a verbatim script that they have to read out. Israel has the right to defend itself. Um, there has to be a peace process, but without terrorists, referring to not just Hamas, but any resistance, any type of resistance. They could be anywhere on the spectrum, but any type of Palestinian resistance is nearly always equated with terrorism. And Israel has a right to defend itself. And you just see this kind of perpetual, repetitive language, which basically either enables or justifies genocide. Why is that the case, Sean? Well, America is the, the, the cog in the middle of it all. America needs Israel in the Middle East. I mean, if you heard Biden's speech before where he said that if we hadn't got an Israel, we'll have to invent, invent an Israel. And Britain's just a lab dog for, uh, for, for America, you know. But listen, through, through the smoke and the dust and the ruins of Gaza, and I, I, I definitely see things changing. Because I think 
a lot of people around the world have woke up to what Israel is really about. They're just this, jana- time, this time around. Yeah, they're just genocidal psychopathic maniacs, right? Uh, and they've been allowed off the leash by America. But I, I think what we're, we're also seeing parallel to this is the slow demise of America. I think America is going to, uh, is going to uh, withdraw in many cases, and a lot of things are involved in the war because they have their own problems, and we're starting to see it already. America is going to begin to implode. And once they, they isolate themselves from the rest of the world, Israel doesn't have that anymore. And we're just going to see it. What's really disappointing, even what we're witnessing, what we're witnessing in real time, is the lack of support from the Arab governments. Even, even the, I mean, oil bonds or whatever they could do financially is just, it's just so disheartening. <laughs> but I definitely think the the demise of Israel is going to come from the demise of America, and I think we're already slowly seeing that. Inshallah. Um, in terms of um, let's talk about because again, because every time I too look at him, look at a picture of Fidel. Socialism in the Muslim Arab world has had a very interesting relationship because during the Cold War, at a time in the post-colonial era, I think the Muslim Arab world was seeking revival. They were seeking autonomy. They'd been under colonial rule for decades, in the in the case of half a country, centuries, and they were looking for something to awaken this vast uh, community, right, which historically wasn't split up with straight lines by Sykes-Picot. These were people who moved quite freely yeah. from Morocco all the way to Egypt, all the way to the Levant, to the Arabian Peninsula. Um, the Ottomans who aided the Irish. Do you hear about the story? Yeah, 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 yeah sent yeah. them three ships of aid. The Queen prevented three ships and only allowed one to go so she wouldn't Around be... the famine. Yeah, so, so she wouldn't be small-faced, she wouldn't be embarrassed. So there is an affinity, there is... Not just a historical affinity, but there's also, again, the ideological leaning. When socialism was the thing in the Arab world, you know, we had the likes of Qaddafi, Gamal Abdul Nasser, Hafiz al-Assad, Saddam Hussein. You know, many of these prominent Arab leaders that were seen as revolutionaries. And socialism was the thing, pan-Arabism, socialism, whatever you want to call it. And it kind of fitted in uh, appropriately with the Cold War at the time because those said Muslim Arab states were leading to the USSR at the time. But that honeymoon period didn't last until 90s, I would say maybe mid to late 90s. And the reason why that is, is because many of these perceived revolutionaries who were seen as saviors, anti-imperialist people who will rescue us from the colonized, many of them became despotic uh, tyrants themselves, started cracking down on religion and, 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 and Islamic expression and stuff. What does socialism mean to you? Yeah, has that has that been a has has that been a a world view that that naturally came to you? I would have been the view of seeing that as pan Arabism rather than socialism to me. You Agreed. Know? Yeah, but, but but still grounded on the yeah yeah on the on the concept of yeah. socialism. Yeah. When I see socialism, I look at the Latin American movements. Okay, you know, like the likes of Castro and and, and Che Guevara and stuff like that, uh. Uh, and that fight against the, the the hegemony of America and Latin America and stuff like that. So that's where I would have seen it. Some African movements also, you know. How old were you when you became exposed to these figures and these ideas? From no words. Yeah. When you yeah. my I was when is I was four when my father went to jail. Uh-huh. So you know you're you're, you're politicized. Right? You, you, I mean you walk these streets when you're born. These streets you're in a conflict. You're politicized. Uh-huh. So you're seeing all these you know all these these different political theories. But socialism for me was the was the the, the, the main 
main one and, and you're seeing Revan and that I, the iconic images of Che Guevara when you were growing up and you identified those iconic images with the hunger strikers that you'd seen <laughs> here who died, you know, Patsy O'Hara and Bobby Sands and Francis Hughes and stuff like that. So when I always, when I, I was that young during the hunger strikes, I was going, I always thought Che Guevara was one of the hunger strikers, you know. So to me, they were, they were the same type of people and I thought there was a a comradeship with, with, with particularly with Cuba, a big, big, uh, I wouldn't say fascinating, a big love for Cuba mm-hmm. and the revolution. And still we're seeing that, you know, so many years after the, well, it was 60 odd years now after the revolution and still there's a, a blockade uh, uh, on, on Cuba. Uh, I try to visit Cuba whenever I can, just back from Cuba's in Cuba for three weeks or last month. Mm-hmm. And to see the, the, the poverty still in Havana, when it could be so, so different, it's because it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a, it could be a utopia, kind of utopia, you know, for, for me, through the, 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 the socialist policies that are there. And for it to, to be, for to not be been able to flourish because of the uh, the American boycott, the American embargo, it's just it's, it's disheartening, you know. Did you see my recent debate with Pierce? Yes, I did. Yeah. So a running theme for the last, since the conflict started, the 7th of October, the war in Gaza, there's been this whole discussion about if you can't condemn Hamas and you refer to what they or any other Palestinian faction did as a resistance, then that means you support them. Now, the likes of Pierce, I believe, asks his guests this to incriminate them. That's my view. Yeah. He brings them on onto his primetime show to put you in a corner and basically incriminate you to get you to say something where you break well, the law. We've been getting that here for 20 years. Yeah. They condemn the IRA. Yeah, can- yeah it's, it, this, this isn't new. Yeah, so, We've always dealt with this. Yeah, so, so, so how do you deal with it? Tell uh, the Muslims, that, uh, how do you deal with that? I would never, ever condemn people who have went to jail here. They're, they're our brothers, our sisters, our cousins, our family members, right? No right to condemn people like that. And this, see, at the same time, see pe- the people from the other side of the working class areas who try to kill me or my family members, I'm not going to condemn them because we were shaped by our lived experiences. Do you know what I mean? For somebody to take up a gun or for somebody to go and plant a bomb, right? It's easy to vilify them, say there's an inherent evil there, but the, 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 where, where's, where do we take the context into it? Why is that person doing that? Why don't the, why doesn't Pierce Morgan talk about the context to, to where we are now, to where the Palestinians are now? Or if anybody wants to ask me about condemning the IRA, you know, let's, let's have a, a, a deep discussion into the, 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 the context of what had happened for people to join the IRA particularly this area, this area, they attempted to burn this area to the ground, the RUC and the Loyalists in 1969. And this is one of the central areas where the, the conflict really kicked off here, you know? So every, every one of us are shaped uh, by our, our lived experiences. Not, I'm not going to condemn anyone, no matter who it is, uh, uh, of, of the reasons for supporting resistance movement anywhere in the world. Do you think that resistance movements can and do get it wrong sometimes. Of course they do. Listen, I we we, we I come from a family of, of, of Republicans and the IRA members. I'll tell you now the IRA got it wrong. Okay, of course. And the Palestinians are going to get it wrong. But if you're looking at if we look at the context of what's happening in Ireland or what's happening in Gaza, I mean it's very, very for easy for easy for me to say I support the Palestinians and their right to self determination after being displaced, after having genocide visited upon them, after all the facets of, 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 of the, what the West are using against the Palestinian people, with an Air Force, a Navy, and the Palestinians are running about in flip-flops and RPGs and AK-47s. And Adidas tracksuits. Yeah, yeah, and Adidas tracksuits, you know. 
and seen a video just just yesterday of they're, they're, they're going to attack Israeli soldiers and, and, and they're barefooted also. Barefooted walking up the sand dunes. Yeah, sand yes, the, yeah, the sand dunes, yeah, so they're not making noise. Why is there this focus around whether it was the Republican and IRA or, or, or the Mujahideen in Palestine or whatever it may be, why, why is there this linguistic equation uh, to terrorism resistance? It's easy to vilify and call somebody a terrorist because you're trying to abscond yourself with those responsibilities of the, the, the terror that the, the ones that you support that are visiting upon the indigenous people, you know? You know, easy, we were vilified as a terrorist community. Nobody spoke about the terrorism visited upon this community about the terrorism of the British soldiers. I mean, the, the, in these communities, the IRA are not the terrorists. But I can understand if you go 100 yards across a wall and somebody says, well, the IRA, uh, you know, put a bomb in the Bjordo bar or whatever else, and they want to call them terrorists. I accept that. Because it was a terror was a visit, visited upon your community. But let's discuss the terror of the British state, you know, who murdered four extended members of my own family, you know, I mean, it could bring you to every corner and every street in this area where people were killed. You know, their loyalist death squads. They armed death squads like the Americans done in Latin America and Nicaragua, El Salvador. It's happened here in Belfast. But nobody wants to speak about that terror. They want to talk about the terror of the IRA. Why is that label terrorism nearly always applied to non-state actors? And when it is applied to states, it's applied to those states which the Western governments have an issue with. Russia. Russia, yeah, Iran. Of course, yeah. So let's put aside their politics. But generally speaking, we know that certain countries are labelled as rogue or terrorist states when Washington and London and Paris decide to do so. It's, it's political semantics, and I tell you why it's used is because a lot of the a lot of populations in, 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 in countries like Europe and America and the West, the, the people are apathetic, they're, they're docile, and they're easily swayed with language because they, 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 don't, they don't live in the trances, they don't live in the streets where people have been, have been murdered. You know, they, they, it wasn't visited upon them. So it's very, very easy just to pick that label up and go with it, you know. In your interactions, um, recent and past, have you ever found yourself debating and arguing with people over Palestine? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Certainly, yeah. yeah. Fellow Irishman? Uh, yes, fellow Irishman, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unionist, sorry. How often do you meet unionists? Oh, the odd time. I would speak to, I would speak to unionists more than what people would think. I would speak to Eunice, but the Eunice wouldn't tell you to speak to me. No? You know? There's a lot of hush-hush around Belfast, isn't there? A lot of people actually talk, but they don't, publicly it's not known, or they don't want it to be known. Yeah. Um, like, I, I would, I would, you know, I would be kind of vilified from the, by a lot of Eunice politicians, but there's, there's some of them would speak to me and they'd go like, you know, don't say that we speak, you know? Okay. Do you do you visit Shankill Road? In passing, I, I, yeah, like, I couldn't walk about the Shankill Road, you know? Still? Yeah. Still, no, I couldn't, no. What could happen? You'd be attacked, you know, and you just get the old head case who would, you know, maybe have a, a go at you on a... Well, because they will recognise you from... On a worse scale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And could the same be said for when they come over to the falls? Uh, see, I can't speak, but for the most part, no. I think it would be a lot easier coming over. Uh -huh. And I tell you what done that, Brexit, because I had a good relationship with a lot of people in the Shangle, but Brexit messed it up a lot. I felt there was a kind of withdrawal with Brexit, you know. So you, but so on the one hand, Brexit helped the uh, Republican cause, but pushed them away. Yeah, and they welcomed Brexit. But why was that? I thought they'd support Brexit. What's that? I thought they'd support Brexit. Yeah, yeah, they welcomed it. Yeah. So why did it pull them back? Because the scene, the the outworkings of Brexit was was something that they didn't foresee. Yeah. Uh, you know, economically, it was a bad case for Ireland. 
you know, because it strengthened the case for an, e- a, 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 an economic unit in Ireland, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Islamophobia is pretty much intertwined and synonymous with the Zionist propagandist talking points. You'll find nearly always, especially th- this time around with the whole Hamas is ISIS and, you know, you go onto Twitter and you're seeing what people are trying to equate the action of the resistance to. I'm not, I'm not talk about the resistance here, Sean. I'm sure you appreciate we're not talking about Hamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are multiple factions, multiple groups. Many of them are not banned under UK law, right? But there's this equation, there's this synonymity with these guys are Islamist terrorists. They're not different to ISIS. It's these Al-Qaeda types. Oh, Israel is a progressive democracy. You know, we have Arabs living here. We have Druze living here. We have Ethiopians living here. And you've got these raggedy Palestinians who want Sharia law. They want to kick gays off buildings. And, and they say, why, why, why do those tropes come out? Are you talking about from Israel in general? Yeah, yeah. And, and Western governments, our own press. Our own politicians will we'll start discussing these talking points. We have to we have to look at who controls the press and who their friends are, you know. And it's very very easy to vilify Muslims when you look at who owns the press, you know. Uh, it's just as simple as it. You know, it's something you seem quite firm upon, and that was that. Look, this conflict uh, in the north of Ireland, uh, it was not a religious conflict, right? And rather, religion was used. Uh, to pit one working class people against another. During the Troubles, during the 30 years, right, were those conversations happening or did they happen after? The realisation that, hey, you know what, we just got pitched against each other. In the early, in the early 70s, there, 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 was a, there was a big case, you know, given for that. But I think that the, the violence just got out of hand and it was lost. And some people were just focused on getting the Brits out of Ireland. And that's where it just, the cycle of violence got worse, you know. What is your most graphic or saddest recollection or memory of uh, the troubles? It would have to be those that those couple of weeks of, of, of Gibraltar, because it just it personally affected me, you know. And I still see families suffering because of the troubles now. Like generational trauma and we still have a high... We have a high suicide rate here, you know, and it's it's the direct link to the troubles. There's no doubt about it, you know. How is the institution of marriage amongst the Catholic community? Uh, it's are they still has the birth rate? Are they still burying and having kids? Or what does that they're, they're still marrying, yeah, but it's it's more uh, it's more about heritage than it is about religion. If you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Talking about the IRA purely from an academic point of view, from an observational point of view, uh, there were. Please interject and correct me if I get you wrong, bro. There were different strands over the time. So you had the provisional IRA, were well, they the guys that kept everyone together? Mm-hmm. For the most part, yeah. For the most part. There was an element which was very left-leaning and Marxist. Was there ever an element that took more of a religious leaning? No, not religious, no. So you had the NLA, which was more Marxist, communist, socialist leaning. Uh but the provisionals would have been the main uh, race. There was a split after 1969 between the provisional IRA and the official IRA. And the official IRA, uh, the, the provisional IRA were of the opinion of let's go forward here, let's go on the offensive and get the Brits out. And that's where the, 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 the split kind of happened. So during the conflict, the, the official IRA became smaller and smaller. 
uh, and the, the the provisional IRA, the support for the provisional IRA grew. And was at its peak during the hunger strikes. Did they ever fight each other? Yes, this, there were, there were, I think there were two feuds, yeah, where there were members killed in the 1970s. And to, to this day, they're still on a massive. Really? Tweet. Yeah, to this day, you wouldn't believe it, yeah. To this day. What's the real IRA about? The real IRA was a split off the Good Friday Agreement between former members of the provisional IRA. And you would have had a couple of, you know, uh, a few different groups of, of splinter groups off the provisional IRA, but they were never ever effective. And they did, I mean, it's just, you need the real IRA, the continuity IRA. Ugly and hard and stuff like that, but I think for the most part they've, they've come around to realise now that there's there's power in the politics and that the demographics have changed, uh, and it's better that Republicans uh, stand together uh, in the face of, of, of unionism on, on political terms. You know, you ever been buzzing yet? No, I haven't. No. So you know a bit about the history of Bosnia. Oh yeah, yeah, I do yeah, yeah. So you know when you go to Bosnia, big fan of Tito. Yes. So when you when you go to Bosnia. Uh, very balkanized, very segregated. You've got your Catholic areas, you've got your Muslim Bosniak areas, then you've got parts of the north, which is pretty much a part, an extension of Serbia. And when you speak to Bosniak Muslims, they say we're keeping together just about. It can kick off any time. Yeah. It can kick off any time. Does that is there a feeling like that in the north of Ireland? I don't think it's that bad, but there's always the potential. There's always the potential. I mean, you're just a couple of killings away from it to spark off again. You know, high-profile killings or something like that. And, and of course it can happen. Because it, because the gentleman I was with before, yeah. uh, he was showing me around some of the unionist areas and he was saying, paramilitary there, band group there, these guys are there, they're really there. They seem like if, if anything was to pop off, um, it's as if... So, so the bands... I think, I think the, the loyalists... The loyalists would be would would see see them, themselves to be more prepared for anything kick, kicking off, but you have to remember, Republicans fought the British Army, the SAS, the paramilitary police force, and the paramilitary groups. And listen, it's only going to happen very shortly. Brit Britain does not want the unionists, right? And if Britain does not want the unionists, are the loyalists saying that's just going to be them to fight Republicans? They need they need to think again because it's just not going to happen, you know. So do you think the the peace process or the unification sorry the unification process would be done through democratic means? Do you, yes, you, it will. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. You don't think it'll revert back to an armed struggle? Again? No, 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 no. Britain does not want the unionists. You know, you have. Why do you think they've been disowned? Because they feel disowned. Some of them feel yeah, disowned. Yeah, no, there's no, no, there's no doubt about it. They feel disowned because they, they they cost they cost too much and they live. They live in the past. I mean, if you look at some of the unionist areas, they're more British than anywhere that you've been in Britain <laughs> or London, you know? You saw that, didn't we? You know? I think the only place I've seen that's like here is if you go to Gibraltar. Yeah. You know? That they want to be more British than the British, and they're just a headache to Britain, you know? It's like they live in the past. They're marching like it's 1600s and burning, you know, burning bonfires, like, you know. And I'm not, you know, you know something, that's part of their culture. I'm not going to criticize that. But there are negative elements to it, you know? But it is what it is. I think that the, I think positive things can come out of unionism if working class unions get educated and they realise this is just about class. You know what I mean? And they realise that you see uh, the reunification of Ireland. It's not an Irish Republican United Ireland in the sense that they made, the way they may have seen it. It's about a new Ireland of unionists and Irish working a new country together not, between not us. The, yeah, not of the twenties and sixties. No, 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 things no, have no. definitely changed. No, it has to be a country where. Unionism is respected, 
uh, the Protestant people are respected in, in a new Ireland. And whether that means a federal Ireland for a while or whatever else, I don't care. But I, I'm just of the opinion that we need to get rid of Westminster forcible. We need to govern ourselves. And it's absolutely impossible to govern ourselves because extremist elements within unionism just do not want to share a power with Catholics. We're seeing that now with the DUP. They do not want to share a power with Catholics. Um, growing up, did you ever have Protestant friends? No. Girlfriends, anyway? You just didn't have it in working class areas. It just that we were too polarised. Now, have I been from a middle class area? Probably, yeah, but not in working class areas. Where are the middle class areas in Belfast? South Belfast, for the most part. Yeah? You would get... Uh, Who lives there? Just middle class Catholics and, and, and Protestants. Oh, so it's a mix. Oh, it's a mix. You would get mixed areas. And they, they, they always were mixed. Okay. Because the war didn't really affect middle class people, for the most part, you know. Some of the working class people that go to jail and die, you know. Uh-huh. Bring the podcast to a close. Um, where, what do you, where, where do you think the end goal is for the Zionist entity? Do you think this is the beginning of the end? Yeah, I think it is. What 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 it said earlier about it, it's only going to happen when America America goes into an isolationist mode, and I think we're already seeing that. I think you know there's America's very very capable of having a civil war very very soon. But it looks of things. Do you think, Trump, do you think Trump will come back to power? For, here, listen, I wouldn't say no. Honestly, I wouldn't say no. And I've seen this result as we speak now about Colorado. Uh, not letting him stand, but I I, I wouldn't that say that can be overturned. Well, yeah, I would I wouldn't say no, but I just think that uh, America's it's too polarized itself, and America is going to come to realize that the poverty when you see the poverty in in, in the US, it's just crazy, and they're sending all these billions, three billion days, dollars, yeah, yeah. To, to, to slaughter people on the other side of the world. There has to be an awakening at some stage, and I think we're in the early stages of it. You know. Let's look at Europe. Um, populist far-right groups um, are growing. Mm-hmm. If I go Winders uh, mm-hmm. win in... Um, did, he, did he live in the 70s before the Gerdwildish? I believe so. Yeah. 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 So you're seeing, we're seeing an undeniable growth of populist far-right groups. Um, I mean, I think the National Front in France are still very influential. Um, why is Europe gravitating towards that as opposed to the counter-argument would be, well, look, we've tried progressive politics, we've tried left-leaning politics, we've tried multiculturalism, we've tried all this stuff. And you know what? It's made our continent into a quite frankly. Um, and we need something that reflects our identity, our culture, and we need to push back against this kind of uh, progressive, liberal, woke nonsense that's granted in Marxist postmodernism, right? I know that's a very stere- that's like a very caricatured uh, argument, but, but you hear this. Europe is shifting and moving towards the right. Why do you think that is? Right. I'll tell you why. It's very, very easy to sell the message that those people, like it happened here, that those refugees that are coming in, those brown-coloured people that are coming in, right? Let's, let's talk about the reasons why they're coming in. But those people that are coming in, it's very easy to sell a message to a passive population that they're the problem, right? And that's how you move to the right. There are the people that's trying to take something on you. Do you know what I mean? So it's easy to move to the right. And the immigration issues have, have, have very, very easy message. When you're on the right, it's very, very easy to sell a message, first of all, because the message is very, very simple, right? If you're a deal and do a leftist message, you need to be educated, right, to argue your points. But it's very, very easy to capture, and we're seeing it now in Ireland, 
to capture so with that stabbing incident. Yeah, with the stabbing incident and, and the growth of the far right in Ireland, it's very very easy to label those kids far right, but they're not. They're not political. They're running about burning Dublin. They're not. They're not political. So I hate to point the finger at those young lads and say that they're far right because they're not. They're not. They haven't got a political conscience. Do you do you think there is any legitimate concerns to do with migration and immigration? There is, and I think there is a sinister element to it, right? And that's for an hour day to discuss. But the, the reason for that sinister element is to create the polarization of of the Irish. We never had a right problem in Ireland, and now we're seeing that. And there's more sinister elements behind that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong. We need to we need to show there's nothing wrong for for people to come into the island who who have been displaced through war and whoever else. We're a country that, need, that needs people like that, all right? But there are sinister elements. I mean, there's a good argument to say, I mean, why why would anybody be allowed in the country, single men be allowed in the country with criminal records? What co- no country should, should allow that to happen, you know? But why should the, the ordinary refugees in good faith who are running away from war, running away from terror, um, why should they fall for, for, for this policy? And that's what we're seeing, you know? You know, one of the kind of cognitive dissonance that I've noticed amongst uh, some within the far right, some acknowledge it, uh, but many don't understand the circular nature of you colonize, you occupy, you have your military bases, you wage wars, you apply sanctions, you back brutal dictators, the list is endless. The end result's going to be people are going to leave those lands and they're going to come towards Europe, right? What I just said. Now... We can literally look at pretty much every example, right? Afghanistan saw a spike in refugees and migrants from there from 2001 onwards. Iraqis, Kurds especially, but also Sunni Arabs and Shia Arabs. Sunni Arabs came after 2003 invasion. Syria, where there was a lot of rhetoric, there was to begin with initially a lot of rhetoric against Assad. We know that some elements of the rebels were funded, some elements by Western powers or their proxies in the region. Why is there this cognitive dissonance of not understanding just a basic chronology, Sean? Why why is it so hard to, for many Europeans, and especially those who lean towards the right, that look, the people are coming here through the Mediterranean, not because they fucking actually even want to be here. Yeah. Some of them are doctors, they're educated. You know, they, they, these are affluent people that had houses and had a livelihood. They seem to just see it as this is some Muslim migration invasion. Yeah. They're coming to take over. And I find that to be such a shallow and embarrassing type of thinking. And it surprises me that so many apply that type of thinking. When they, all they have to do is just go back. Yeah. Right? Why are Syrians here? But is it, is it cognitive dissonance? I think, you know, I think they know. I don't think they're that stupid. You think they know? They know why. Yeah, of course they know why. But they, they, they need an easy victim. They need, they need someone to point the finger at, and it works perfectly that it's Muslims. Oh, come on, bro. Are we, are we saying that, look, they're human beings like us. They eat sleeping like us. They have feelings. They have mercy. They have compassion. They have feelings. Why does it stop with Muslims and brown people coming and trying to escape war? Heck, let's forget. Let's even put aside that they're escaping war. Maybe they just want a better life because of the socioeconomic situation that their countries are in due to sanctions and due to whatever reasons, and they want to come here for a better life. Um, why is there a lack of empathy and compassion towards these people? We discussed it at the start of the podcast because you have to look at who controls the media, right? And that message is very simple. What message do they want to get across? That Islam is a a, a, a religion of terror, right? Mm-hmm. And these 
are sons and daughters of Islam. Once they come to Europe, they're going to spread that terror. It's such an easy message to sell. And the people who have the power are those in the media that are selling that message. And as we have, we have discussed, people in Europe, people in the West, they're very fickle in, in many, many ways. That message, that message is very, very simple. Those people are trying to take something to you. And not only are they trying to take something to you, they're Muslim, right? And they're going to take over your, your con you know. I see this thing coming up all the time. Muhammad's the, the, the last year, Muhammad was the, the biggest name, or sorry, the, the most, most popular, popular name in Ireland. Yeah. So fuck, what, and what? <laughs> What's that matter? Do you know what I mean? How's it going to change your life? Do you know what I mean? Ali Muhammad, I know, and I know many Muhammads are, are friends with me within minutes, are, are absolute gentlemen. Do you know what I mean? They try conveying you. Oh, oh yeah, they have tried to convert me. <laughs> of course they have. Of the Quran there, for God's sake. Yeah, of course they have. I say just not yet, just not yet. Okay, inshallah. No, but but yeah, but listen, it's it's an easy message to sell. You know what I mean? On a personal one, you know your gravitation towards and then the appeal towards socialism, mm -hmm. right? Was there an aversion away from religion as a result of that? Yeah, because for me, the, for yourself personally. Yeah, for myself personally, for me, while there were many good people of faith, and as the area we're in now, Clannard, we have the big Clannard Monastery, which the Unionists tried to burn to the ground. And there were many good men of faith, like Father Jerry, Father Jerry Reynolds, a priest who I was close to, Father Ali Great, who I knew well. But the upper agalons of the Catholic Church vilified our community. They worked hand in hand with the British and vilified our community for resisting the British. And that always stuck with me. The Alpeshalons. Yeah. Who would they be? The bishops, the cardinals, you know. Who vilified our community? Stood with the British against. Did you not have any cardinals on the side of the Republicans? You had you had Cardinal Tommaso Fee, and there's a, there's, a, there's a a famous photo of me when when I was in school. He came into we had we spoke Gaelic. We were the first Aries Gaelic speaking school, uh -huh. and there's a there was on the front page of the newspaper. Still got the, the the photo somewhere where I I was wearing a paddy cap, like the old Aries trilby cap, and he took it off me and put his cardinal hat on me. And he, he was the only he was the only cardinal. I mean, he was a great man, a great Gaelgore, a great Irish speaker, and a, and a great Republican. Yeah. Were your parents religious? No. Were your grandparents religious? Yeah. What was the shift? The generational shift? It had to be. It had to be the the, the, the political situation, which which just exacerbated. You know, I think I think I think with the the terror that was visited upon these communities, that some people just lost their faith. You know, they just lost their faith. Some people might run the faith in situations they got, but some people lose their faith, you know. Last question. If you could have the ears and the eyes, or the ears, forget the eyes, if you had the ears of your fellow uh, European uh, brethren, I'm not even talking about Irish or Brits, I'm talking about generally the continent of Europe, because mm -hmm. um, we're going to make clips, I'm going to hopefully send them out. If you could send a message to them with regards to how they approach the war on Gaza and generally the Israel-Palestine conflict, what would you say to them? Stop being stooges of America, all right? The, those days are gone. We don't need to be stooges of America now. And I think a lot of a lot of people in Europe see that, you know, see what they've done with the the, uh, the gas coming in from Russia to 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 Europe. Yeah. I mean, America's behind that. Yeah, they're trying to send America's trying to send us in the recession and, and and say that they're our friends. Yeah. There's no cure for 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 what's happening here in Europe. Because if only war starts between Russia and America, where's it going to be fought? Europe. Of course. Yeah. You know? So that's what I would say. They need to remove themselves from that that old policy. Russian, Russians aren't your enemy. The uh, 
Islamic people aren't their enemy. You know, once we start to realize that and realize, you know. So who's the enemy? Who's the enemy? Fucking Western hegemony. That's the enemy. The people who create war all over the world, right? Uh, we need multipolarism again, you know? We need a, a multipolar world. Do we need multiple hegemonies? No, we don't need multiple hegemonies. We need a strong, and I don't even like to use the name anymore, United Nations. We just need a new order in the world. That's what we need. A new world yeah. order. A new world order. <laughs> not that word. That's a, that's a bad. <laughs> that's a that's bad terminology. You know, we need we need, we need a new <laughs> we need a, need a new order that respects all the religions in the world and all the political movements in the world, but has has balls and can deal with. Can war ever be justified? Of course, war is justified in certain by certain means. That's is war necessary. Sometimes. And in, in certain circumstances, it is necessary. I mean, how, how can you say no to that? You want to let genocide be visited upon people and say they're not allowed to resist? Of course it's necessary in some cases. Sean, it was an absolute pleasure. Nobody to meet you, Dylan. Uh, likewise, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for hosting me in Belfast, brother. No problem, if not. Brothers and sisters, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed today's podcast as much as I did. I want to remind you that you can find this episode on all three seasons and all the major audio platforms. If you're watching via YouTube, do remember to click subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel, leave a comment, like the video. Until next time, Salaam Alaikum.